Yes, sir. You already know what it is, and you already know where you have reached. The number one up-and-coming professional wrestling podcast anywhere in the world. It is Tuesday, May 25th, 2021. I'm your host, Sean Hubbard, and this is the number one up-and-coming professional wrestling podcast. The number one up-and-coming boxing podcast. Number one up-and-coming mixed martial arts podcast. This is the Hubbard Wrestling Weekly Podcast. What up, though? We are in the building with another big time episode. We go back in time, a retro review of one of the most controversial slash innovative pay-per-views in history of the industry. We're talking about this Tuesday in Texas from December of 1991. And I have a big time guest in store for you today. But before we get into that, we got to make sure we get into this. Anyone out there looking to project their business in the best possible light on the internet, there's only one way to do it, and that's through Hasprayer.com. I'm talking about web development. I'm talking about web platforming. That's H-A-A-S-C-R-E-A.com. Hasprayer.com. Because we love tech. Yes, sir. Once again in the building. So happy to be with you guys tonight right here, May 25th, 2000. And 21, the year is just flying by. I'm so excited because we're going to take a little retro review, look back at a really cool pay-per-view, a really cool concept. It didn't last. It only happened one time, but it was really good and really historic as it relates to the uh, the history of the WWE Championship, the history of some very influential uh, sports entertainers, wrestlers from back in the day. Hall of Famers, many people involved in this pay-per-view from start to finish. Only about an hour and a half long pay-per-view, but it was really exciting and really cool to look back on it right here and right now on the Hubbard Wrestling Weekly Podcast. I'm glad you're listening right now on iTunes, Google Play, wherever your podcast preference is. We're happy that you are with us and right here on YouTube as well, as well as HubbardWrestlingWeekly.com. Let's get right into it, man. Before I get into the subject matter. I'm so happy to let you guys know that I have a very special guest with me today. He's my brother from another mother, man. Somebody I've been working with for quite some time. Part of the Six Pack. Shout out to the other members of the Six Pack. You know what I'm saying? Appreciate you guys. And uh, I look at this guy as a brother, man, and, and he's so educated as it relates to uh, the world of professional wrestling. You got to check him out on everything pro wrestling. Uh, I mean, he does these awesome AEW Dynamite reviews each and every Wednesday night. We also got him doing like pay-per-view previews, pay-per-view reviews. He's off the chain, man. He's a good friend of mine. Welcome to the show as we do this retro review of this Tuesday in Texas, 1991. I introduce you of the Everything Pro Wrestling Podcast, the one and only Conrad Cushman. Welcome to the show, my brother. Sean, thank you so much for having me back on. And I know it's May 25th, so before we get all exchanging the pleasantries, I do have to give a shout-out to my wife. It is our anniversary from dating and marriage on May 25th, so I got to show her some love. And I got to show you some love, man. Uh, absolutely love what you're doing. You are crushing it with the fight game. I know you cover more than just wrestling. You cover all combat sports from mixed martial arts, boxing, uh, and you know as well that I'm a fan of all of them. Most people just think, oh, he only likes wrestling. No, I like basketball. I like football. I like it all. Wrestling's just my main thing. 
but um, I appreciate you doing these shows with me, man. I feel like we've grown. Uh, we have a lot of personal conversations, and I appreciate you. So thank you for having me on. The feeling is definitely mutual, Conrad. I look at you as a brother, man. I'm so thankful for the opportunity to have gotten to know you on a personal level, not just in the wrestling community, man. It started out that way, but it has grown, and I'm so thankful, and I appreciate you as well. And shout out to your wife. Shout out to your union as a couple, as a married couple, a beautiful thing to be sharing this wonderful day with you on your anniversary, man. God bless, and may you have many, many more. Yeah, man, we're in the building, man. It's it's Hubbard Wrestling Weekly, you know what I'm saying? EPW's in the building with the main man, Conrad Cushman, and we're talking about December 3rd, 1991. You know, back in the day, you know what I'm saying, Conrad was on my show, check the archives, man. We did a retro review of Survivor Series 1991. And, you know, we kind of thought about this pay-per-view, Survivor Series 1991, as a kind of de facto lead-in to what we're going to talk about today. And I was so almost offended, you know what I'm saying? Almost offended looking back at a historically significant pay-per-view like Survivor Series, and they almost used it. They used it as a lead-in to this special Tuesday night extravaganza that they put on a week later. How do you feel about that, man? Let's talk about the, the significance of how Survivor Series was basically used as a de facto preview show for this Tuesday in Texas. That, that was um, an interesting call that they decided to do this. Um, I'm actually looking through. I took notes on this entire show, and I have something in here, and uh, I'm kind of jumping to my overall thoughts, but I feel like this was kind of like the first test show sean for like in your house okay and okay i know i'm leaping ahead a little bit no nah, no nah, talk about it but i feel like this show was meant to what if we gave the fans a pay-per-view-esque kind of show b b quality we'll say mm-hmm. and we we lessen the time and it's cheaper to buy and i think they kind of were using this and this is how we get the in your house formula to where we start getting these every other month or in between the big shows we'll do it in your house And I think this is the formula that they tried to use. There's some good in this, and there's some bad, like, don't do this again. And uh, I'm sure you've got all the notes on it, but that's how I view this show. But let me tell you why I'm offended, bro. Let me tell you why I'm offended. I'm offended because I'm a five- or six-year-old kid, right? And I'm begging my mother and father to order this pay-per-view, right? Don't even know what pay-per-view probably means. Whatever it means, I know I need to buy it, okay? I need to see it, okay? And I'm offering up my $4.00. In, 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 in allowance money, which is only like a quarter of what I need to pay for the pay-per-view. Mom's like, okay, give me a dollar. I'll pay the rest, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm mad because Survivor Series is a big deal. I'm mad because I'm watching WWE, WWF superstars. I'm seeing Jake the Snake Roberts sick the snake on, on Macho Man Randy Savage. And I'm like, yes, it's all going to take place at Survivor Series. You're going to have Macho Man make his triumphant return to the ring. At Survivor Series, as the captain of Team Macho, let's say, he's going to team up with his tag team partners, the tag team champions, the Legion of Doom. He's going to team up with the boss man to go up against the other squad led by Jake the Snake Roberts, IRS, and I believe it was the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was the Natural Disasters. Mm-hmm. All for it just to be like this big teaser where we get Macho and Jake in interviews leading up to this pay-per-view that they announced on the air of Survivor Series. And I got to counteract your point right out the gate, man. Love you like a brother, but I got to say, I think you're wrong about this one as far as the In Your House comparison. In Your House was an entity all its own, bro. 
They sold a house or gave away a house. They were talking about it for months before they even talked about the pay-per-view. We're going to give away a house live on pay-per-view. We're going to have Diesel defending the WWE Championship. It was an entity all its own. This Tuesday in Texas didn't even occur to anybody's mind or wasn't even anybody's thought because it didn't exist before Survivor Series came on the air. Why are we devaluing Survivor Series by making it, like I said, a relatively cheap preview show for, for this Tuesday in Texas? I just paid $29.95. Now you want me to pay another $15 a week later? They were trying to double dip the chip, Sean. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying you're wrong in your uh, thinking with it. I just think that they did this and said, "Let's see how many people buy this and see what interest people have in this." And you know the WWE. Okay, we're gonna make some money on this. People are gonna want to know it's a hot storyline, and you know the selling point where I'm going with this. We're gonna talk about it. Um, yeah, we get to the main event. Yeah. Well, it's actually a couple selling points in this too. Mm-hmm. They've got some hot selling points. And the reason I compared it to In Your House is because it's a shorter show, it's less money, and they want to see, could we could we squeeze a little bit more out of people You're probably if we right. give them something a little compelling? You know what I mean? It's not the card where you get WrestleMania and there's four things that you want to see. It's half. You're right. So that lower the price. That's, that's just how I see it. And I think this is where the In Your House formula was developed is probably the best way I could put it. Uh, I think, and when you talk about, when you say it like that, I think you make a lot of sense, bro. So let's get into this card, man. You already know the background, man. Survivor Series 1991, Thanksgiving Eve 1991. Hogan loses the WWE Championship to The Undertaker. That sets the stage for the rematch this Tuesday in Texas, which they announced on the air at Survivor Series. Then you have Tuesday in Texas, the buildup where Macho Man is officially reinstated, but not at the Survivor Series as tag as a captain of the tag team match. But they're going to go one-on-one this Tuesday in Texas. So as you said earlier, those are the main selling points. It wasn't a big crowd in the Freeman Coliseum. 8,000 people on December 3rd, 1991, San Antonio, Texas. So it's pretty much all built around the fact that they're trying to get a big pay-per-view number on what turns out to be about an hour and a half long pay-per-view, similar to what Conrad was talking about, about the short format of this particular pay-per-view. And you come on the air, you got Gorilla Monsoon, you got uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan, two treasures, God rest their souls. And in the background, you hear Brett the Hitman Hart, the Intercontinental Champion, Skinner's already in the ring. The Intercontinental Championship is on the line here this Tuesday in Texas. Undefeated Skinner, but he really wasn't undefeated. We'll talk about that too. <laughs> Going up against Bret Hart for the IC strap. What are your thoughts? Okay. Before I say anything, mm-hmm. I feel like you're going to be my witness to this. And if not, I will send you a screenshot of what I have written down. Let's do I it. saw a lot of people from Conrad Thompson and a lot of the popular wrestling Twitter handles saying, oh, Bret Hart's so good at selling. I did not tweet that out because I knew I was doing this show. Brett the Hitman Hart I have in my first line is so good. Mm-hmm. Just looking at this. Like, the selling, the art of selling, if you do not study Brett the Hitman Hart to know what, like, pain should look like when you're in a wrestling ring, you're doing it wrong. Mm. I don't care where you work. I don't care what company it is. It doesn't matter. Brett the Hitman Hart does it right. I've never seen somebody go into a turnbuckle and I'm like, oh, that looks so painful. Like, he gets selling. There are a few guys in wrestling that I'm like, he's really good at selling. And Brett no the question. Hitman Hart's one of them. Without I, I, question. I, Without question. Bret Hart's a great seller. That's what makes him one of the best of all time. 
Now, Skinner here, <laughs> I, I have nothing to say. I just laughed because I thought about my uh, Skinner action figure. Ah, <laughs> nice. Do you believe Steve Kern? Like, that's Steve Kern. I, it's nuts. It's nuts. I mean, I looking back on it, it, may, it makes me laugh, just like you just did. It, it's, it's crazy. Dude, this was the guy who ends up playing Doink the Clown later on. Nuts. They were making Doinks. Nuts. This is the guy who, at one point, had, like, a pretty boy gimmick in another territory. Mm-hmm. Like, he was a ladies' man. Smooth, clean. You would never believe it. They gave him the Skinner character because he actually liked to hunt gators in Florida. And he ran FCW for a little bit. Like, that's crazy. That is crazy. That's crazy. And you know what the funny part is, is that, like I said earlier, they really built him up. He was one of those guys who got the Razor Ramon treatment, who got the kind of guy, you know, coming in with the with the vignettes kind of a deal. He Skinner, they wanted Skinner to be at least a mid-card big deal when he came into the WWE. Nothing worse than him coming out the water with the knife in the oh, mouth. Remember that vignette? So know. creepy. So creepy. Uh, and then the chew and the matches. Ugh. Yeah, and you know, I mean, it's crazy. Like a little for, moving forward in his career, we actually spit in people's faces. That was it. That was his deal. It was crazy, bro. Mhm. Uh, different times, folks. Different times. Yeah. But I thought this was a really good match. I love Bret the Hitman Hart as the Intercontinental Champion. And Sean, I may be in the minority here, but I told you when I heard the Hitman's theme, I popped, bro. I that is my favorite <laughs> Bret Hart theme. I don't care about the. You know, you get the, like, the guitar riff with it. Yes. Nah, man. Give me that classic, the, the like, jaggedy. It sounds like it's on a little old stereo from the 80s. The down, 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 down. Oh, man. Give me that one all day long. That, that, that original Heart Foundation music just feels good to me, bro. Like, the one with the, the big guitar riff at the beginning when he was WWE champion. I wasn't feeling it. I wasn't feeling it. The original Heart Foundation theme always did it for me. It was amazing. It, absolutely. I'm definitely on point with you with this. I thought this was a solid match, though, uh, going through it all. They tease you a couple times in the match with uh, Skinner even hitting his finishing move, that uh, reverse neck breaker. Like the, the, slop, guess, the slop drop? The, the, yeah, the scorp- I was going to call it the slop the, the, drop. The scorpion death drop? Is that what it was? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what Skinner called it, but he... <laughs> He was laying people out with this neck breaker, yeah. and Bret Hart kicks out of it. Like, that was a big deal back then. A lot of people don't see it that way. It was. And you know what was also a big deal? Skinner being in a one-on-one title match on pay-per-view. I mean, because he was he was billed as being undefeated, even though many people say he wasn't. But he was, at least Gorilla Monsoon pegged him as undefeated during the match, and so did, I believe, Bobby the Brain Heenan. It was an intercontinental one-on-one match against Bret Hart, arguably the best worker in the business. Skinner, this was a high-profile match for Skinner. Uh, this was his coming-out party. Unfortunately, it didn't last very long. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, um, Bret is uh, just getting all of his five moves of doom in, and he—you know—how he sets him up. He's hitting the uh, the backbreaker, the elbow off the second rope, mm-hmm. looking for the sharpshooter. Bobby the Brain Heenan was on fire with his one-liners in this. Oh, I didn't yeah. take any of them down, but he was just great on commentary. Well, the reason, you know, we wouldn't have so many oil slicks if Bret Hart would just wash his hair. You know that. <laughs> oh, Heenan. Oh, Heenan. He was really good. Um, and then Bret Hart locks in the sharpshooter while I was writing. Heenan had so many great one-liners, and he gets the win. It's so weird to watch, too, how we don't have, like, tap-outs at that point in time. It's kind of like the, the ref goes down, and he's like, ring the bell. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, but my, my thing is, you know, not to get funny with you, but 
Like, how close was Danny Davis going to get to Skinner's face asking him if he quit? Like, come on, man. Like, back up. Back up a little bit. And, and Danny Davis, when I heard his name, I instantly thought of WrestleMania 3. I'm like, how did he get his license back? First of all, he was supposed to be suspended for life plus 10 years. I don't know what's going on around here, Conrad. Exactly. But it was but definitely an entertaining match. match. Uh, yeah, and you know what? A true technical wrestlers, a te- technical wrestling fans type of match. Skinner performed well. Bret Hart performed better. That's to be expected. Uh, Bret Hart gave away his glasses. Oh, that bimbo's going to faint. Bobby Heenan is pure gold. I mean, just just unbelievable. I love it. I absolutely love it. Bret Hart opening up the pay-per-view made a lot of sense. I did not like the fact that Skinner was already in the ring when he was walking down the aisle. That took away from Skinner's undefeated stigma. But, I mean, we all knew Bret Hart would retain, and that's exactly what he did. So Bret Hart retains the Intercontinental Championship, which leads into... In my mind, the main event of the night, I mean, obviously the WWE Championship uh, will be the, the true main event, but we're talking about, wow, Conrad, we're talking about months, months of buildup, months of animosity, months of, of treachery by Jake the Snake Roberts, and I mean months as in like the previous summer. I'm talking about Undertaker and... Jake the Snake plotting on Macho Man and Elizabeth's wedding reception with the snake in the box all the way through the fall, all the way through attacking him with the snake, getting Macho Man reinstated. This was a marquee matchup. First of all, tell me if you had goosebumps like I did when Macho Man jumped Jake the Snake before the match even started. So, I have notes from Jake's interview. Please. Sean Mooney. I love it. I love the references to um, just talking dirt about Macho Man, throwing dirt on his name, and then he says, in Elizabeth's eyes. Mm. Mm. I can look into her eyes and I know it. I'm just like, Jake the Snake is still amazing on the microphone. Um, And I look at this, too, and I just was sad because I was like, this really could have been a bigger match than what it was. Like I said, this could have been a WrestleMania like eight main event match if they would have continued booking this mm-hmm, mm-hmm. more on that later but really really good stuff here and then uh we cut over to macho man and miss elizabeth being interviewed with mean gene i love it macho man's cutting the promo about the uh classic jake the snake line trust me trust <laughs> me and uh jake was saying that but then you can hear jake's music go off and i love this part whoever directed this i think it was probably bruce pritchard i don't know why i could i feel like i could tell when it was him no it definitely had bruce pritchard's thumbprint on it it seemed like something he would put together the 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 music hitting you know obviously we know those are pre-tape back in the day okay we're gonna look up we're gonna act like we don't know the music's gonna hit but we're surprised music's gonna hit macho man can't control himself that kind of kind of good vibe i liked it yeah, he just comes out and attacks because he was like, I think I, I hear Jake coming to the ring now. I think I'm going to meet him. And obviously, if Jake's going out, he doesn't know what you're saying in the interview. And they're probably really standing right next to each other, but you didn't know that as a kid. Exactly. That's absolutely amazing. And then Savage is just running down in full tassels. He's he's ready to go and just starts taking him out. And we've got ourselves a match after this. And it was a I fight. Love- it was a fight. I mean, Macho Man was going for it. And... I, I used to hate I used to hate the fact, and we'll talk more about this in a minute. The referees always break it up when the good guy is on top, but yet when the 
bad guy is beating up the good guy, for some reason they're always late in breaking it up. It makes me sick. Like, Macho Man wants to hit him with a chair. Macho Man wants to hit him with a ring bell. The referee takes it away, which leaves the door open for Jake to, to kick him in the guts or Jake to hit him with the DDT. It's very annoying. Very uh, not fair, we'll say. Yes. That's where, yes. how they do it. I, I have a weird, like, thought about this match, though, too, overall. Like, I, we said, we're going to say a lot of good things, but in the meat and potatoes of this matchup, like, I really have some things to say. Please. And basically, I'll tell you the whole match. There's there's some regular, uh, there's some brawling, there's some moves. Jake goes for a DDT, gets rammed into the corner by Randy as he's holding his ribs. Um, they they basically have Savage take him down. He goes to the top for an elbow drop, one, two, three. And I said, this match was so short. It was like seven or eight minutes. Bell to bell, it was really short. It was it was almost embarrassingly short for the buildup. It really was. But then again, if you think about it, when you take the match and the post match stuff, it was probably about about the time it would have we would have liked it to be from belt to belt. Right, and if you're looking at this just for what the match was, like sometimes when you're uh, reviewing a show, sometimes I'm just like, well, all I have to work with is what happened in the ring, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna give it this. Um, but with everything that went on from the promos to everything else, uh, this instantly became a home run after the match. Like you said, you had brought up the officials coming out to try to stop him. They don't want him to use the bell. They don't want him to use the chair. And eventually this gives Jake enough time to recover, and he hits a DDT. And then he hits another DDT. And finishers meant something here, Sean. Yes, like, yes. Bro, he was like, the fans were crying because he got hit with two finishers. They're like, okay, leave him alone. I mean, you legit, you legit thought that Macho Man's career was over by taking two. And, and it wasn't over. It wasn't over. Yeah, young Earl Hebner comes out. He's trying to throw Jake out. They really had, like, good audio on Earl's face. Get out of here. Yeah. Get out. <laughs> Get. Yeah. And uh, he's trying to do his thing. And just as he starts to uh, go up the ramp, I love the, the smirk, the facials. They had this even back in the 80s. Jake looks and you could just see, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm not going to leave yet. And he gets back in. And uh, he said, I gave Jack Tunney my word that the snake would not be in the corner. But the match is over. He goes underneath the ring, and he had the snake there the whole time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you felt about this, but I loved the snake when he was a heel, and he had to put on the black glove to get it because it was venomous. Oh, I loved it. It, it added more mystique to the snake. I mean, Damien really wasn't dangerous. Damien was like, maybe choke you out if he went around his neck. But the, the, the python or the, the viper, whatever you want to call it, that was a situation where you knew Python, I think it's what it's called. I, that was a situation where it was like you had to use a glove in order to protect yourself because this thing's going to do damage. Yeah. They, they did a really good job uh, selling this. So he gets on the black glove. He's out there. And then here comes Miss Elizabeth. And she's trying to protect her man. Something that's uh, I wouldn't say macho. Yeah, we can use that word. I yeah, guess. that works. Very, very macho-esque of her to come out and say, you know what, you leave him alone, and she's trying to protect her man. And Randy wouldn't want her out there, but he's too disoriented from the DDTs to stop her. And here she goes, and she's trying to protect him, and Jake's getting sick of it. And she's just saying, leave him alone. Jake keeps taunting Macho, pushing him to the face. Jake picks up Randy Savage and delivers another DDT in front of Elizabeth. 
So now she has anguish on her face. She can't deal with it. And just when you think it couldn't get any worse. <laughs> she grabs Elizabeth by the hair and pulls her up. And in front of the crowd, slaps her across the face with the stomp. <laughs> oh, my stomp. God. Oh, my God. Let me let me tell you let me tell you something, brother. Let me tell you something. I I vaguely remember this from childhood. I I got the Super Tape ninety two. That's how I saw it. I didn't see it live, um, and obviously from the network now. And as an adult, as a kid, I was mortified. As an adult, I'm like, oh my god, Jake just slapped. I mean, yeah, stomp slapped. Yeah, not you know we all know the deal, but in storyline, slapped Elizabeth. Like Elizabeth got smacked to the ground. They didn't do stuff like that back then. No, and Elizabeth was portrayed as like I, I the best way to put it is like the nice prom queen from high school. Mm. Like they portrayed her as that. Like she could do no wrong. Facts. She just got slapped across the face by someone who was evil. Oh, evil. my God. And, and then, and then you, you take everything that you saw. You, you, you know she really didn't get... I mean, as an adult, you know he, she really didn't get slapped per se. It was a, it was a kayfabe slap. But in theory and in, in storyline, it's, it's epic how important this is. Because now Jake has attacked Macho's wife. Now... As Gorilla Monsoon continues to tell this amazing story on the microphone about how Elizabeth, fictitiously, her face is starting to swell. And Bobby Heenan saying, almost coming out of character, like, hey, listen, I, 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 I can't condone that. I, 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 I have no comment, but all I know is that this is not over. You know, he's like, and he even says at one point, he's like, Gorilla, I'm going to be serious with you now. This is bad. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? This is really bad. It took it to a whole new... It was so wonderfully done. And then, I'll let you talk about it. Then Jake goes back to the interview area with Mean Gene. And there's almost like this sexual, perverted appreciation for what he did. I'll let you talk about that. It was nuts. Yes. So you brought up the selling by Bobby Heenan and Gorilla Monsoon. They did a great job. When heels are disgusted by you, they're really laying it on. Yes. Mean Gene being backstage, Mean Gene Okerlund as an interviewer is someone that I greatly miss in pro wrestling today because Mean Gene knew how to help you if you were struggling during an interview and Mean Gene knew how to tell a story. And Jake the Snake Roberts, I am disgusted with what you did. Most interviewers just sit up here and ask a stupid question these days like, why did you do what you did? (laughs) Mean Gene is telling you, I'm disgusted with you and nobody's going to put a hand on Mean Gene. Right. And he's just like, oh, Mean Gene, I enjoyed it. And Jake is basically rolling around in this like a a happy dog. Like, oh, yes, this is so great. Oh, my God. And he's not screaming. He's just smiling and he's still talking in that low voice. Did this, this did dude, this did this did this, per, did this pervert say, let me touch her again? Yes. Oh my god. He filth. Oh. Just filthy animal here. They did a good job, and like I was saying before, this could have been hyped up. I thought this was gonna lead to a WrestleMania 8 match as a kid. How could it not? I mean, I we all know how poorly WrestleMania turned out to be booked, but 
I mean, it was unbelievable. And then, well, we'll talk about this at the end, but, like, the payoff was not really that great at Saturday night's main event. But anyway, the point is, this, you know what? This is why this Tuesday in Texas, and we'll talk about our overall synopsis of the show when it's all said and done. This is part of the reason why this show was really freaking good. <laughs> you know? It was good. It was really good. This was a epic encounter with an epic outcome and epic events that we never saw and never thought we would ever see. It was nuts. It was really good. And you get stuck in the middle of this and it left people wanting to see what the payoff is going to be. And I'll, and I'll leave it at that for that view. No, no doubt. We're going to talk more about the aftermath of, the, of this particular pay-per-view. But my God. And, <clears throat> excuse me. You know, we're going to get to the Macho Man interview after this next match. But it, w- it was just like the, the classic, my wife has been disrespected. Which takes the disrespect that he's given me. That lowers it now. Like, everything Jake has done to me, Macho Man Randy Savage, we thought was over the line. We thought was negative. We thought it couldn't get any worse. But little did we know, little did we know that it could get worse. And it got a lot worse. Miss Elizabeth attacked physically. That never happened. Never happened with the exception of maybe Honky Tonk pushing her down on a Saturday night's main event. But nobody's ever struck Elizabeth. And to your point, Conrad, it changed the game because it was one of those things where like, yo, Jake is a legitimate scumbag. Like, there's no coming... Like, Jake could never be a a face again, if that made any sense. Yeah, no. He couldn't because you struck a woman, bro. Like, that's a big no-no. Even on today, that was... Go back to the early 90s. That was a no-no on television, too. This was on pay-per-view, though. Right. And it's just like, dude, they really sold this. Like, you have to hate this man. 100%. An epic encounter. Only a, I looked it up. Only a six minute and twenty five uh, second match, but that the I guess you could say the six minutes and twenty five seconds after the match made it all worth it. Randy Savage, Miss Elizabeth, Jake Roberts, storylining, storyline, uh, storytelling extraordinaires in in this instance. It was absolutely unbelievable. So we're coming off the 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 shock of what we saw in Jake versus Macho in the aftermath of that match. And we're kind of coming down off that high as as Gorilla, and that's another sign you knew it was crazy because Gorilla and, and, and Bobby were still talking about it during the next match. That next match would be the British Bulldog versus the Warlord. <sighs> you know, <laughs> it's, you know, WrestleMania 7 was only like six months earlier. We saw it then, you know, we saw it, we saw it in a six-man tag at SummerSlam. I mean... How many more times can you beat that drum? I mean, you could give me your synopsis. It was just like, bro, like, come on. Bulldog and Warlord again? Come on. I, I honestly only took two notes during this match. <laughs> My first one says, I I always wonder why they never push both of these guys more. They have the incredible physiques that I assume Vince McMahon would love. So I never really understood, like, why Warlord never got anything. Nothing. Like, nothing as a singles guy. They never were tag team champions as the powers of pain, and Warlord got nothing as a singles guy either. And I always felt Warlord and uh, Barbarian were just two guys who they always overlooked. Even Haku. 
Like, these are guys who you could have had as main players, but they always use them as enhancement guys, similar to Skinner. Like, true. Why, why are you using them like this? I, I didn't understand it back then, but... And the British Bulldog, I always thought he was someone that... he. I think he could have been world champion at this time if he had everything together. I, dis- I, I disagree. I disagree. I don't think he was world championship caliber at this time. I think he would reach his peak. We all know his most epic win was at... Uh, SummerSlam 92 the following summer. I think that would be a peak for him during his first run as a singles guy. Now, you tell me Bulldog was a legitimate threat to be world champion in 95, then I then I'd be on board. I think I think he there was less uh of a how do I want to put this without making it sound disrespectful? In 95, there were less like when you look at that 95 Rumble, Bulldog was one of the people who could have won it. Like I'm like, if they're going with the babyface, he has to win this. Sure, but I, but I, but but for the record though, bro, I'm talking about when he turned on Diesel in summer of 95. Okay, yeah. okay, my see, I'm always a fan. British Bulldog with the braids, with the beads, that's my guy. Okay, my guy. okay. So I've always been rooted for him, but I thought he could have done something more. I don't know. They had him win battle royals. I felt like they just didn't know what to do with him at this point. You know, and, um, and I think that's the, I think that's the the bottom line for both these guys. Like, I don't think Bulldog was ever seen as an enhancement talent, like you said the Warlord was. But even with the Warlord, the Warlord was an enhancement talent slash not an enhancement talent. Like, you know, I could go back through a couple of you know annals of time as it relates to the Warlord, Warlord's pay per view success. He beat you know Tito Santana in a SummerSlam match in 1990. He was part of the winning Survivor Series team in 1990. Uh, you know, he, he he lost, as you know, as we just talked about, against the Bulldog in, in WrestleMania 7. But it was like they almost didn't know whether the Warlord was somebody they wanted to invest in or not. We do know that they invest eventually invested in the Bulldog, but they never invested in him to the point where you're talking about where he could have won a world title. Yeah, shout out to Harvey Whippleman. Who was on the outside, downtown Bruno. Facts. Um, I don't know. I always enjoyed him as a manager during this time, too. Like, he, he was just somebody I always wanted to see get beat up. Yeah, he was good. He was good. He's not one of my favorites, but he was, he was good. He served his purpose. I, I liked him with Sid Justice. I liked him with Warlord. You know what I think I like? I think when you, like, uh, did the press slams with the manager back then and you threw him outside the ring, like, he would fly because he was so small. Yeah. So he, like, he, yeah, he, he worked with the big guys very well. I agree. Um. So... The British Bulldog wins with a crucifix pen. Uh, Warlord, I think we only saw that W he had shaved into the back of his head once because you never saw it again once he started wrestling and he was moving around in there. Exactly. I got nothing to say on this one, man. I just felt like Warlord never really beat anybody. He was cooked at this point, and I think they were better off in a tag team as the powers of pain. You know what? You come on my show, and and, and you just and, and I'm looking for you to give your expert analysis. And you tell me you got nothing on Bulldog versus Warlord. Well, you know what, Conrad? I couldn't agree more. <laughs> I have nothing. I couldn't agree more. This was a complete waste. And I think the only significance that I remember from this match was the fact that the Bret, the Bret Hart, excuse me, the Jake Roberts, Randy Savage situation was still being talked about by Gorilla and Bobby Heenan. During, dur- during the match. During the match. Um, yeah. An interesting match that we come. Oh, never. Oh no, no. Let me not jump the gun. I was about to jump into the next tag match, but I will not do myself or you or our listeners this disservice. We must. And you're so good at breaking down. I think I have a knack at breaking down matches and and I guess backgrounds of pay per views. But you have a tremendous knack for breaking down interview segments. And I must 
get your synopsis of Randy Savage being interviewed by Sean Mooney. Please break it down for the people. Sean Mooney was always my guy for like the event center stuff. I don't know why as a kid I always remember that blue and like magenta background. <laughs> Sean Mooney announcing like what was happening. Classic. So, he's got love for Sean Mooney. Don't know why. But he's backstage trying to interview the Macho Man. And I like that Macho Man is so beside himself that like he, he just don't have characters like this anymore, man. He's backstage. This dude is losing his mind. Just, I don't even remember. I didn't write down anything he said. I'm just gonna describe it to you. Well, let, let, let me just let me set it up for you because the storyline reads that basically Macho Man during I guess the course of Bulldog versus Warlord at some point somebody must have told him what happened to Elizabeth. Correct, and he's losing his mind over everything that's transpired. And here's the weird thing. So generally back then. Interviews were set up to where you had it, uh, the set behind you, the interviewer's there with the microphone, you talking to the microphone, you look yes, straight at the yes, camera. Yes, yes, In this, Macho Man Randy Savage, there is a person who is basically holding the camera, walking around, as you can tell. Macho Man is pacing back and forth, and he's like, get out of my face, get out of my way, Jake, you better, and he is just ranting, he is raving. Basically, they're showing that this dude is angry. You slap another man's wife when he can't do anything about it, and Macho Man is basically letting you know he is out for revenge. And he was a, he was a heel not too long ago. Right. And you just believe, like, oh, yo, this dude is angry. Like, this is like the Macho King coming out, and he's like, Jake, I swear I'm going to get you, man. I'm going to get you. Trust me. I'm That's gonna right. Get you. And I was just like, yo, this... Oh, this could have been so great. You took oh, it you took it so you took bad. it over the edge. You no limits now, brother. It's all all bets are off. All bets are I'm like, oh my god. And, and you know what's even better? When he pushes Sean Mooney out of the way at the end of it. Get out of my way. Right. And he's just he's so macho once again. He is. Like he's so he macho is. that he does not care about this guy who's trying to probably be a nice guy and do his job. He's like, get out of my way. I don't care who's in my way. I'm getting to my prize, which is Jake the Snake Roberts. I, that, it's, it's just great storytelling. Well done. Bravo. This is what the WWF was all about that made you fall in love with it as a kid. I... Excuse the pause, everybody. I, I, I'm pausing because because I have to think. And, and I, I want to tell you what that, that emotion that came out of me was when I saw that interview um again we're talking about me being and i think me and conrad are very similar in age um like I, if i was if i was five or six you were you were five or four right so I was four, yeah. right so macho man randy savage showed the world what it means to be really angry like not wrestling angry he was now we all know looking back it was storyline angry but he made us believe that this was real life you see what i'm saying he made us believe that what happened was beyond the scope of what even he thought that jake roberts would sink to you see what i'm trying to say yeah and and, and that's the that's the crazy plea i mean if you got more from me give me more because I, I i can't 
express enough the emotion. Like, I, I would look to my mother and my father and say, like, macho, that's not the macho man I know. Like, macho man's not mad like he was mad when he was trying to, you know, beat up Dusty Rhodes. He's not, he wasn't mad <clears throat> the way he was mad at Hulk Hogan. Macho man is, is, is mad. Like, re this is true macho madness. This is macho madness at its peak. Yeah, this was this was like when Hogan was looking at his girl, Macho Man, angry. Like, right. th this this really worked <laughs> out well. Like I said, this is like one of the two main stories here, and I just love the setup. I love the way they just did everything. Everyone played their part in this. Gorilla Monsoon on commentary, the baby face, just saying this is so heinous. When Bobby the Brain Heenan, who is a heel commentator, says, "I, I can't even." this like exactly exactly you went too far and bobby heenan stole people's dogs so i mean right <laughs> he, he's, he's still pretty close there but it was like all right you went way too far with this one absolutely and it's not like when he was talking about boss man's mama and he got beat up for that this is this is some really really good stuff and i love how they did this everybody sean mooney um interviewers even both of the competitors even elizabeth Played the part. You know what I loved about Elizabeth in this? What's she that? held her face. If anyone has ever been slapped, I know we're going back to the 80s. It was child abuse back then. I don't really care. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, slaps across the face, bro, hurt. Like, if you've ever been, I, I would, I, getting slapped across the face to me is like the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Oh, it hurts. It hurts. Get, but you're angry, too, afterwards. Yeah. And when she's holding her face. It's just like, oh, they really sold this. Like, they're letting you know, like, oh, she's hurting from that. Because she never moved her hand. They could have said, yeah, she's swelling up. She's uh, she's getting a bruise on her face. They could have did whatever and had the makeup lady change it later. They sold it. It was sold the whole time. And I thought it was just so well done by everybody. And that's how you get people hooked into a storyline. Like, I was hooked into watching this. It was something that I'll never forget. And it's the reason why this Tuesday in Texas remains one of my, I can't believe I'm saying this, one of my favorite pay-per-views, despite, you know, the Bulldog Warrior, despite that being a throwaway match, the Bulldog, excuse me, Warlord, despite that being a, a throwaway match. They continued to talk about it through the match. It led through the Macho Man interview. They continued talking about it during this tag match as well. They even talked about it a little bit during this tag match as well, coming off the heels of the Macho Man interview. By the way, this upcoming match I'm about to talk about was not necessarily a throwaway match. I actually enjoyed it a little bit. El Matador being involved kind of was like, eh, I don't know. But Repo Man and Ted DiBiase, Repo Man had recently helped Ted DiBiase regain the Million Dollar Belt. I don't know if it was on Superstars or Wrestling Challenge, but Virgil lost the Million Dollar Belt that he had previously won back in the SummerSlam pay-per-view in August at Madison Square Garden of 1991. Uh, he had lost it just prior to Survivor Series, and the Repo Man was very influential in making that happen for Ted DiBiase. They would team up with State Sensational Sherry in the corner against Tito Santana and Virgil. Um, I'm saying it wasn't bad because I guess it wasn't as bad as Bulldog and Warlord, but you know, I, it was a this was a filler match I could live with, Conrad. Okay. <laughs> oh, I guess we disagree. <laughs> we are about to disagree. On okay, this okay, fair enough. So, in my notes here, the first thing I have is, okay, so I'm not understanding how Macho Man and Jake the Snake got six minutes in time, 
but this match got double. But Macho and Jake the Snake didn't get six minutes in time. They didn't. I I know they did it, but I'm just talking about in ring. Okay. Like, okay. I, there wasn't enough for me to. I felt like when the match was first done with Macho and Jake, I was like, "That's it. That's what I was." That's what, <laughs> like, I just didn't remember being that short because I haven't I I haven't watched these shows in a while sometimes, and I was just like, "That's it. That's the match." Hmm. Whatever. And then this next match comes on. I'm like, why am I still seeing? It's after 10 minutes. Why am I still seeing Virgil, El Matador, and the Repo Man in here with the Million Dollar Man? Everything just felt very weird at this time. I hear Tito Santana and the El Matador just, I don't know. Tito Tito made no sense. But I guess in in a situation where you have Virgil, who had a legitimate situation with, with Ted DiBiase, Repo Man made sense because Repo Man helped Ted DiBiase get back the million dollar belt. Then it's like, okay, well, Virgil needs a partner. So, you know. Right, and Tito's the ultimate good guy. Right. Help right. I just, I didn't like the gimmick of the El Matador. I prefer Tito Santana uh, in the white tights. Yes. You know what I mean? As the Intercontinental uh, Champion or buying for the Intercontinental title, I should say. Yes. Like, I just thought that Tito Santana fit better. And then once they gave him the gimmick, I was like, does he need this? But still a great wrestler at this point in time. Not taking in-ring skill away from anybody. It's just sad to look at the people in this matchup, too. So, listen. Just think about this. I'm going to put this in perspective for you. Yeah. The Million Dollar Man is someone who, three years before this, was like the top bad guy mm-hmm. in the company. Sherry, by the way, a little tidbit just for you. Did you know Sherry was on my list when we did that last draft uh, for, with the six-pack? Okay. She was on my list to take, and I was so mad that we ran out of picks. I was going to take Sherry, but... Oh, she's Sherry, one of the best female competitors of all time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love Sherry. And Sherry, before this, was with the Macho King, so this feels like a downgrade for her. Oh, yes. The Repo Man. He is one of the top tag team wrestlers in WWF history. What are you talking about? The Repo Man was never in a... <laughs> Barry Darso was Smash and Demolition. Now what? Now he is the Repo Man. What? The Repo Man was Smash of Demolition? I never knew. Like, that Repo Man costume just totally made me not realize that's who that was. He, he might have been one of the first wrestlers that I noticed that on, where I was like, yo, that's the that's Smash from Demolition. That's I can't believe you. You know what? You must have a great, because there is no way in the, I'm just kidding, by the way. We all knew it was Smash. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But one of the first people I remember. Then we got Virgil. Virgil was partnered up with the Million Dollar Man. Could he have been riding on a high? Perhaps, but... No, 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 no. This was Virgil's one and only... From summer... From WrestleMania. WrestleMania... No. I'm, I'm going to change my thought three times in a row. That's how... Not, you know what? I might even say that the entire year of 1991 was a good year for Virgil. I'm not saying it wasn't, but I still don't think this is peak Virgil. I don't think this is what Virgil is remembered for. Virgil's remembered for the win at SummerSlam, but Virgil was still on, still running on high from that win. Is, is that what you first think of, though? I always think of him as the bodyguard. No, no, I think I think that win at SummerSlam was epic. I think that some win at SummerSlam was epic. Yeah. No, they built up to it very well. I yeah. just thought that there was the, the follow-up after. Like, once he won the million-dollar title, I was just kind of like, all right, what's next for you, man? <laughs> well, you know, you, there's certain people who, who are going to win certain titles, and you know there's not going to be anything else. You know, Virgil winning the, 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 the million-dollar belt was as far as he was going to go, but 
I mean, I guess you could say he got another big moment when he was the person who got the pinfall at the eight-man tag at WrestleMania eight. But, you know, Virgil was not destined to have those big moments. So I guess in a way I understand what you're saying. He had his biggest high-profile moments in the corner of DiBiase. But 1991 in-ring for Virgil was the best year of his career. Yeah, I, I always say this too. Virgil's one of the smartest people of all time when it comes to making money in wrestling. Basically wrestled a couple good years, and he ghosted like the rest. He was sure. just chilling. Like, sure. I respect it. I respect Virgil it. got a job in WCW because he was Virgil in W. Vincent got a job in WCW because he was Virgil. He didn't... He truly is an artist when it comes to being... He's Randy Brown in the Bulls with the 90s. That's right, man. Hashtag meat sauce. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and Tito Santana, I brought up before, I didn't really like the El Matador gimmick. I just thought these guys had better days behind them at this point when you look back at it and I'm just like man that's so sad to think of where these guys came from and I didn't even bring it up but Tito Santana was later considered to possibly be the uh, WWF champion when they were considering who would be the person to go for it so really? don't take him lightly yes you can I bring it up real quick please please I, that, you're blowing me away with this right now at one point in 1992 92? yes what? man was looking at a list of competitors for who would be his next champion after all the WrestleMania 8 fiasco. So I'm trying to put it in there in case we ever review it that we don't yeah. spoil too much. But yeah, yeah, yeah. So there were two guys. There was one guy who could have been the up north champ. He, we talked about him in the opening match. And there was a guy who, had, who could have took over the Mexico side, which was going to be Tito Santana. And they said that those were the two that Vince was like, one of these two are going to be my guy. Who's it going to be? Oh, my God. And at one point, it was penciled in that Tito Santana was going to be the guy to win the uh, World Wrestling Federation Championship in 92. Oh, my God. So you're saying Saskatoon was almost like... Uh, it, like... it almost turned into probably Mexico City. How right. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to figure out a city in Mexico. Tijuana. <laughs> there you go. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my God. That is unbelievable. Holy crap. The wow. world could have been way different. Oh my! Well, that—that's—that's that's the reason why you're the man. That—that's a—I—I I think I know this business inside and out. But that nugget you just dropped is unbelievable. Tito was on the doorstep of winning the title. Oh my god! We're on the same level, brother, because you were telling me about dark match stuff that I have no clue about <laughs> during this off air. I'm sure we'll get to that in a second. But yeah. let, let me let me just set up the finish for us, please. Sensational Sherry goes to interfere in this matchup using her heel. The ref is distracted. Virgil ducks the heel, and DiBiase gets clobbered with it, right? Mm. And I, this is where I absolutely get angry talking about this. DiBiase's down from the heel shot. Repo Man just comes up from behind and knees Virgil in the back. Right. That was it. Virgil falls down like, oh, my back. <laughs> and DiBiase just imagines. Magically just awakens, and he's like, you know, I'm going to pen him. <laughs> One, two, three, and that's it. So the heel shot to the head didn't end the match, but the knee to the back did. And I was just like, that was so weird. It, it was, it was, that. that was stupid. I agree. That, you know, that, that, was, that made no sense. I agree with you. I do. It, and I wasn't mad at it because it keeps the feud going with DiBiase and Virgil, which is probably like one of their main uh, house show matches right. during that time period. But just a weird ending. I didn't like what they did here, that's it. That's all I got. No, no, no. I, and, and I, I agree. It was one of those things. 
I thought it was a... You know what? I think I said it from the jump. This filler match felt better to me than the previous filler match. Um, because the, the Bulldog Warlord match was a retread. Like, a multiple, multiple, like, quadruple time retread. So, I was disappointed in that. But, now that I look at the... I mean... Virgil... Virgil, Santana, Repo, Million Dollar Man. Eh, I guess it is what it is. The pay-per-view was all about Macho versus versus Jake and the match we're about to talk about right now. And, and that's pretty much why we all tuned in. And that's why we're talking about it uh, 20, almost, yeah, 30 years later. Good Lord. That being said, that being said, the World Wrestling Federation Championship was on the line this Tuesday in Texas in front of 8,000 people. In the Freeman Coliseum. It was the rematch of, I think, a historic victory by The Undertaker at Survivor Series. I, I think Hogan losing, even though it was far from clean, I think Hogan losing at Survivor Series was was very big. Um, and, I, and I think that it set the tone for what the future would hold, especially with Hogan going off the scene in 1992 after WrestleMania. But we're still in 1991. And... We're all kind of, as kids that is, we're all kind of mad at Jack Tunney because Jack Tunney, for whatever reason, says he wants to sit ringside for this match. But we're not sure if Tunney is there for Hogan's benefit or The Undertaker's benefit because Hogan certainly thinks that Jack Tunney is not on his side. During Hogan's pre-match interview, he calls him the no-good Jack Tunney. So clearly Jack Tunney is not in Hulk Hogan's good graces. So... As Hogan speaks negatively about Jack Tunney, you feel a sense of trepidation as a Hogan fan, as a young child Hogan fan, wondering why Jack Tunney's going to be at ringside. But you're hoping it's all for the up and up. You're hoping that it's going to keep Ric Flair out of the ring. Ric Flair, who we did not know was in the building, but we know now he was in the building because he defeated Roddy Piper in a dark match before the pay-per-view even started. So now we're looking at Hogan. We're looking at The Undertaker. And the title's on the line, and Jack Tunney is at ringside. Conrad, your thoughts? First, I have to go back to the Hogan promo. Uh huh. I love the instant replay of the tombstone on the chair. Oh and god! If anybody knows what really happened during this, I think you you you've heard the story. Too, oh god! Oh god! Oh god! <laughs> my neck! My neck, brother! Oh god! Like they show just enough of it so you can see him go, my neck, brother! My oh neck. god! Oh god! My, oh my. It was a foot clearance that that tombstone missed that chair. Oh my god! And you know why that happened though? Because Hogan said he didn't want to get his neck hurt, and Taker was being super careful. Taker is like a, a twenty-five-year-old, twenty-six-year-old kid at the time. He doesn't know. Well, 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 Mr. Cameraman, go around to a different angle to make it look like it was. I mean, the camera was in the worst angle if you want to make sure it looks like Hogan didn't get hurt. Right. I mean, it was but, terrible. But it's fine. I just laugh at any time I see, like, you can hear Hogan go, oh, my neck, brother. <laughs> like, you can just see, go back and just watch that little scene. And you can hear him just talking to him. You know, he, that, that was the part where he was like, as soon as I did, he was like, brother, my neck. Oh, my, my neck. God. It was it was terrible. I mean, the, the match served its purpose, but what a, look. All that mattered was that Hogan lost, right? Uh, right. The rumor so, was he wasn't happy about that. Right. So it is what it is. The tombstone was terrible, but I guess it is what it is. 
I just the part that I laugh at is the neck, my neck brother, my neck, <laughs> my neck brother, uh, uh, and, and Gorilla Monsoon. Love him, love him. God rest his soul. He might have a broken clavicle. No, he doesn't. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Gorilla was selling. Was Facts. Selling. Facts. So we get the matchup here, and we talk about entrances and stuff earlier with Skinner. Same thing here, bro. The Undertaker couldn't even have the dignity of coming out second as the champion. Uh, back in those days, first of all, let me start by saying I agree. But I also would have to say that in those days, um, champion coming out last wasn't necessarily a foregone conclusion. Um, it was pretty much good guys come out last. You know that. Well, I, yeah, you, I set it up in the next one, though. Okay. I just I felt like Taker should have came out. I, I'm a firm believer in the champ should always come out last. You know what? And I and I think I think if you honor history that way, I don't think it hurts you because even if the face wins, okay, the face wins, but the championship. I agree, I agree. But in the eighties and nineties, you know, at least early nineties, you know, the champ didn't really matter. The good guy always came out last. Um, I wasn't a big fan of it. I agree, but I see why they did it afterwards, though, because mm. the moment you hear the dead, 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 everybody's up off their feet in Texas. Yeah. Everybody's like, oh, it's Hogan. It's Hogan. You would have thought that this dude was still, like, beloved. Everybody just got up for him. And, and he kind of was still in 91. It's a, it's a weird, like, segment of the audience that were starting to turn on Hogan slightly. Well, he got he got booed, right? Or, you know, if you want to put it like this, he got cheered. He got Undertaker winning, got cheered at Survivor Series. So it was the, the change of the guard had, had begun. There's no question about that. Thanks. So everybody's out. They're ready to see it. Um, as he's walking, uh, Hogan's ripping off his shirt, ready to fight. Paul Bear and the Undertaker jump Hogan. Paul Bear's kicks. Bro. <laughs> I was so hard. I don't know why. Paul Bear was putting the to Hulk Hogan. He was putting the funeral director. Him and Undertaker are stomping him out. And it's just so weird to see it. Like, Paul Bear was in there. He was moving. Like Paul yeah. Bear was not... Let me for all the younger listeners who who knew Paul Barrett when he was with Kane and things of that nature. Uh, by the way, rest in peace. You know, um, rest in peace to him as well. But Paul Barrett in '91 was a pretty agile guy. Yeah, yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't like he was uh, later on. Right. But he he was just in there putting the boots to him. I have the laughing emojis in my notes. Just crack it up for this. Mm. We see Jack Tunney ringside, and I wanted to say this too about Jack Tunney. I love commissioners and GMs who stay neutral throughout it all. Like, I'm a big fan of Regal and NXT. When you're not involved so much that you can kind of stay in that position for a long time, I love it. And I wish we had more Jack Tunneys and Gorilla Monsoons. Even Monsoons started getting used, though, for storylines. I like when they're a part of, like, okay, there's controversy. Now it's time for you to show up. I agree. I agree. Like, his that means his presence meant something. Like, when he made the announcement that the, uh, you know, that Hogan was going to defend against Warrior at WrestleMania six, it was a big deal. When he was the person who was in charge of the contract signing between Bret Hart and Yoko for WrestleMania nine, it was a big deal because you didn't see him that often. That's true. Right. When you see Adam Pierce, do you care about him? Right. You see Adam, exactly. You see Adam Pierce every week and it's like, here we go again. But that's a that's a very good analogy on your part. When Regal's music hits, you go, oh yeah, business just picked up on NXT. No, and you still see him quite often, not like Jack Tunney. But no, that's super fast, bro. Like that's a really good analysis on your part, Conrad, because that's true. 
I get, you know what? That's a hot take. I love it. Authority figures in wrestling, the less they're seen, the more important their impact is. It, I'm definitely with that. So in this, I also have the Undertaker selling in this match. I love the Undertaker gets body slammed. He sits up. It's just the old school, like he's a zombie, basically. Like, yep. what what am I going to have to do to lay down this zombie for three seconds so I can get out of here after? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taker's selling is just great in the matchup. He does everything right. Lots of choking in this matchup, too. Something you don't see anymore, really, in uh, WWE. That's but true. Taker, like, That's true. going for chokes and smothers of, like, his face, and I thought the great gloves really like accentuated that and made it important. So I like what they did with that as well. Um, also, Bobby Heenan putting over the Undertaker, and then right after he does that, we see him walk across the ropes. Uh, before it was old school, this was current school, and Taker was just so good. That was one of the moves I just remember my father just always being in awe of, like, how could a guy that big walk across the ropes like that? He just always thought that was the coolest thing. So I, I always just remember that every time I see it. No, so. it's a, it's an awesome, awesome. Like he was so good, so good. Yeah, I just amazing, amazing that this kid is able to do that. Um, so let's just get to the 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 cookies of this, the meat and potatoes, I guess we'll say. Rip Flair starts coming down to the ringside area. What are you doing, Flair? You're not supposed to be here. And uh Rick, all Rick now we didn't know at the time, all Rick Flair said, Hey, listen, I just had a match, you know, nobody saw the match. I just had a match, I just defeated Roddy Piper. Nobody knows that, okay? But I just had a match, and I'm just here to check out the come on, I'm just I'm not trying to bother anybody. I love the pop though from people when somebody's coming out. So this is before your theme song would hit when you come out. Yeah. I don't know if you appreciate this more, but I like the fact that everybody's like, Oh, look who it is. Oh yeah. And Rick Flair's just walking down. He's just walking down the ramp. And uh, here he comes, and Hogan is, at this time, making his comeback. Hogan's doing the hulking up, you know, brother, 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 brother. And Hogan eventually, uh, Jack Tunney gets set up at one point, and I don't even remember what happened. He's over by the corner dealing with something. Ric Flair gets hit in the back with a steel chair by Hulk Hogan, and he falls into Jack Tunney. <laughs> he sure did. The, the rope was on him, and Space Mountain was on him, too. So Jack Tunney's down for the count. Rick Flair's down. Hogan's hitting him in the back. And here comes your classic WWF convoluted finish. But it makes sense, though. Oh, my God. Uh, the Undertaker and Hogan get back into the ring, and they're just battling it out, going back and forth with the punches. We see Ric Flair uh, is getting up on his feet now as the commissioner is still down. Ric Flair then comes up with the steel chair, and he's just holding it as he gets near the apron. And who goes flying into it but The Undertaker instead of Hogan? He tried to throw Hogan in. Hogan reversed it. So Taker hits, uh, goes into the chair. Then we see the big boot by the uh, Hulk Hogan on The Undertaker. And then Paul Bear has to get up on the apron with the urn. Of course. And The the Undertaker is there, and Ric Flair at this time is trying to pick Jack Tunney up. Now, this is magic to me now. This part right here is magic because this, without this little tidbit of information, we don't, you know, we don't know, we don't know what's going to happen, you know, four days later on Superstars, but without Ric Flair picking up Jack Tunney to make sure that he sees what's going on, history doesn't necessarily play out the way it does. Take it, Sean, take it. So basically from here, you know, Ric Flair's pulling up Jack Tunney from the floor, literally by his bootstraps, trying to show him what's going on in the ring. So Jack Tunney barely is able to get his head above the apron to see what's going on as Hulk Hogan takes 
the urn, I guess you could say the urn ashes and throws them into the Undertaker's face. He ends up rolling up the Undertaker for the one, two, three. Now, immediately, Bobby Heenan in classic, and by the way, Hall of Fame fashion, heel mode, says that's not right, that's not right, Hogan cheated, that's not right. Jack Tunney, I hope you saw that. And at the end of the day, Hogan gets, I consider it to be, especially being an adult, a cheat win, okay? But then again, Gorilla Monsoon makes a good point saying, hey, listen, I don't know what Jack Tunney saw or what he thought he saw, but... All referees' decisions are final. So me leaving that pay-per-view, again, I saw it on tape delay many, many months later, so I guess I can't say me. But anybody who saw that pay-per-view live are thinking, hey, listen, by hook or by crook, Hogan is the champion again. But again, what Conrad just described, Ric Flair, the little intricacies of wrestling, which is the reason why I fell in love with this business. I'm sure you'll agree, Conrad. Ric Flair pulling up Jack Tunney just in time to make sure... He has the line of sight to see Hogan throw the urn ashes into the Undertaker's eyes leads us down the road. But as far as this particular pay-per-view is concerned, Hogan is once again the World Wrestling Federation champion. He has won that title now for the fourth time, and he thinks he's on a road to WrestleMania as a champion, but we will find out that that wasn't the case. Before we get into the aftermath, talk to me about how you feel the main event played out. I thought that it was very, it was overbooked, but it worked. Mm-hmm. I know some people, like, they always go, oh, I don't like when they overbook the finishes and stuff like that. Did they do too much? Yes. But, probably, probably. But by doing too much, you kept The Undertaker strong. He lost by a fluke roll-up. Yep, yep. And he, and he you needed ashes. He got hit with a steel chair. He took a, a big boot. He never got hit with the leg dropped and pinned. I thought that was very wise of what they did there. Yes, especially with the, the situation of Undertaker moving forward and being the phenom that he turned out to be for the next 30-plus years. Um, I also think his reaction at Survivor Series was the, hmm, I think we've got something here. I agree. I, I think agree. that was the temperature check, like, maybe we have ourselves a baby face, and that's where people started to fall in love with the character more and more. And I, I actually liked his feud with Jake. I know many people aren't keen on that feud sometimes i love the feud with jake at the funeral parlor i remember his hands getting slammed into the uh the casket i just loved what they did with taker after this so takers kept strong hogan gets the hogan will pose hogan makes sense to people home happy so the fans in san antonio are happy watching the finish to all of this and then you've got jack tunney he's got to be a fair and balanced authority figure and even when the good guys do wrong, I got to call you out on it. I caught you red-handed. I was there because this was an important match. But but but, but, but see, this is the reason why Jack Tunney was no good. Rest in peace, Jack Tunney. This is the reason why Jack Tunney was no good. Now, I was a Hulkamaniac as a younger kid. I am now a grown man. I am no longer a Hulkamaniac. I respect what he's done for the business. We can talk about that another day. Conrad, you already know the deal. But as a young Hulkamaniac, this is the reason why Jack Tunney was no good. Did Jack Tunney strip The Undertaker of the title when he used a steel chair to beat Hogan at Survivor Series? Well, he he forced a rematch. Oh, that's not the same. That's not the same. He didn't announce on Superstars of Wrestling on December 7th, 1991 that there would be a rematch against The Undertaker for the title. No, he did not. What did he announce, Conrad? Sean, listen, he just said that he is stripping the title... 
because he was sick of everybody's garbage at this point. Mm. He told Flair to stay out. Flair wouldn't stay out. Taker's cheating. Hogan's cheating. He, had, he was left with no choice. Uh. He was left with no choice. And you know why this is a, a favorable move, in my opinion? We are getting the greatest Royal Rumble, not that pay-per-view that happened on the WWE Network. We are getting <laughs> the greatest Royal Rumble of all time set up with this. And I still love it. It's still my favorite Royal Rumble. Definitely the bit most star power in history in that, in that 1992 Royal Rumble. But I'm not done talking about Jack Tunney, dang on it. I'm not done. Jack Tunney was selectively uh, enforcing the rules. That's not fair. Come on. That's not fair. The Undertaker cheated to win the title, right? And the Undertaker was to remain champ. He was forced to read. He was forced to defend this Tuesday in Texas. Hulk Hogan cheats, okay? And they strip him of the title? Unacceptable. Unacceptable. It was a mistake. <laughs> I'm trying to be a Jack Tunney. I got Sometimes the baby faces, you know how it goes. Yes, yes, I do. I it, do. it makes no sense. I, I just feel, man, I just feel for it. Well, look, on a storyline level, obviously we're having a lot of fun here. Um, we're both grown men now. We know the deal. I think it was well done. Um, it made no sense to the kid, of course. That's not fair. Undertaker got away with it. Hogan could get away with it, too. But, yes, it did lead to the Royal Rumble of 1992, which is the greatest Royal Rumble of all time, in my opinion. I agree with you on that. And we all know, being adults and now journalists in this industry, that there was a reason why Hogan couldn't be champion. There was a reason why Hogan couldn't main event WrestleMania as the champion, because Hogan was about to leave, you know? So there was no doubt that they had to make a change. Yeah, what was he was going to Hollywood for a little bit, right? To do like Mr. Nanny and stuff, I think back then. Uh, I think he was leaving because there was a little bit of steroid controversy going on. That's what I think. Mm, yeah, I guess it depends on what story you believe, because I never know who to believe when it's Vincent Hogan talking. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, we're uh, we're we're journalists, but we 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 get a lot of our sources from other other sources, but you know, a lot of our information from other sources, but we do our homework. Hogan was being investigated. I mean, we all know the Arsenio Hall interview that will turn out to be a lot of lies, allegedly. And, and you know, Vince and him turned on each other. And by 93, late, you know, August of 93, uh, Hogan was gone. But, you know, it was just one of those deals where it was like in 92, you didn't know what to what to expect. And I guess Hogan Flair being the, the marquee main event that never happened, there's only one thing that I could think of. I don't believe it's because Flair and Hogan didn't draw at a random house show in Madison Square Garden. I don't believe it's because they did the numbers and the metrics and they realized that Hogan and Flair wasn't as big of a deal as they thought it was going to be. Nobody can tell me that crap. You know what it was. What's that? You're going right into it. Go ahead. I know what you're about to say. It's the same reason why Austin Hogan never happened. I, I, well, please, because I, I know what... Go ahead. Please finish it, it for it, me. In my mind, what happened with a lot of this stuff was, and I, I love WrestleMania 8. That's my first WrestleMania. So okay. I, it holds a fond place. I remember watching it with my, my dad. Um, just, I remember everything about that show and how much fun I had with it. And I love even some of the undercard matches. Uh, and when they set up this show, they basically, I feel like Hogan and Flair was supposed to be the main draw. Mm-hmm. And where they were going to go with it, who knows? And I thought that you could have done Savage and Jake the Snake. And if you really wanted to, if you would have kept Taker Heel, maybe you were going to go Taker Sid. You could have done something like that. Or mm-hmm. you could have had it be 
Macho Man and Sid versus Taker and Jake. You you had you had options back then, but Flair and Hogan started all the controversy. Ric Flair was the new the bee's knees in town. Ric Ric Flair was coming from WCW, hot free agent. He was the man over there. He's coming to be the man over here. And I think Vince really believed in him in the beginning, but when Flair realized you can't blade, you can't do the stuff you were doing in WCW that got you over, and they were limiting him, I think he wasn't feeling that. But at this point in time, he was still the man. Hogan wanted to still be the man. It just, I'm doing like the the heads colliding. Sure. And I think the sure. best, sure. They, they weren't going to let that happen. You couldn't. It was kind of like Stone Cold and Hogan. Who's going to go over? We all know Hogan has always had that, hey, that's not going to work for me, brother. I, I got to get the win here. Oh, well. You, you know, I've been your guy since the beginning, Vince. We, we've always, he always has that over somebody. It's, it's such a shame. It's such a shame that we had to wait two more years for that match. It's such a shame that in my mind, in my mind, wholeheartedly, Ric Flair's storyline with Macho Man should have been Jake's, as you said. Um, because they immediately went into like this kind of like lusty kind of like affair deal with with Ric Flair. It wasn't exactly the same as it would have been with um, with Jake the Snake. Jake the Snake was more like it was a vendetta, Macho Man getting uh, revenge for the treatment of Elizabeth, uh, instead of you know Ric Flair being this gigolo who said he slept with Elizabeth back in the day, and that was a lie. So they just had to flip it up a little bit. But again, that was Jake the Snake's storyline, which who knows? Maybe Jake doesn't want to quit WWE if they do it right. Maybe Jake stays a little while longer if they do it right. I, I think they were having a falling out over a lot of things with Jake. Right. It, it's such an interesting time period because if so many things switch and change, how, would we be in the same position we are years later with Montreal Screwjobs, the new generation? Like, just think of how everything turned out, how, like, it became about Brett, Sean, the steroid scandals even mixed into this. We Would it have been British Bulldog on top instead of Brett? Yeah, who knows? You know, that's a good point. That's a good point. A lot of things change because of that. And I think WrestleMania 8, that's what makes it so unique. Like, oh, this was a big, big turning point for everything. You know what? I think we're going to have to do a show about WrestleMania 8. I'm saying it right now. I'm saying it right now. We, we have to do a show about WrestleMania 8. What do you say? I'm sorry. Say that again, Sean. I, I, say, I say, I think we it's official. We have to do a show about WrestleMania 8. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> All day, two times, yes, all day. But um, right. as we as we look back, man, we're about to wrap this thing up. But I I think I think what we want to do right now is we want to ask we want to ask you right now, Conrad, if you take a look back at this Tuesday in Texas, what would be? I've always said that the Survivor Series '91 was an unfortunate misuse of a major pay per view that turned it into nothing more than a glorified lead in. So, what would be your definition of what this Tuesday in Texas's uh, legacy is? I'm going to still go back to my In Your House reference, because that's where I put this at the end of my notes. And I just said that this was a catalyst that showed them, did we do everything right? No. You did a great job with Macho Man, Jake the Snake? Yes. Did you do a great job with the world title controversy at the end? Yes. But all that stuff in the middle, the tag match, the... British Bulldog and Warlord. The, all those things just didn't work, you know? Like, that didn't hold the people's interest enough. How could you make this better? 
And there were certain things that could have been better, but I will say that this was a unique concept. I thought that it was something different for the times to see, hey, let's see how a pay-per-view would work on a Tuesday instead of the weekend. Right. Because they, they're getting bored, too. They've been on top for, what, they've been doing pay-per-view since 85, we'll oh, yeah. say. Oh, yeah. So, it, what is it, six years later, they're like, let's try something different. Let's see what happens. Vince McMahon's always been about that. Like, hey, let's try this. Let's see what, what's going to go down. And I think that this was something, it's not a fail in my mind. It's a failure that you learn from, kind of, if that's a fair thing to say. That's a tremendously fair thing to say. I agree with it 100%. I, I think this leg the legacy of this pay per view will be that it, it was it was like you said it was a, a, t- a kind of a trial run, um, you know WWE would not return uh, to pay per view on a Tuesday night until October of two thousand four, which was Taboo Tuesday, the first ever Taboo Tuesday, um, and it would not return to a I guess two hour or less pay per view format. Uh, until 1995, as we talked about with the first In Your House, as Conrad brought up so eloquently. So there's no question this legacy of the legacy of this Tuesday in Texas set the stage for what was to come. Again, 95, two hours or less, 2004, Tuesday nights. It never really stuck, but for what it was worth, I think WWE and the powers that be in WWE put their cards or their chips in the middle of the table by, again, you I can't stress this enough, Conrad, using the Survivor Series, literally using the Survivor Series, arguably the second best pay-per-view of the year, unquestionably the third best pay-per-view of the year at the time, to promote an event a week later. So you had to do well. And, and with a 1.0 buy rate, it was considered a failure. But... You know, they made, I believe, about $400,000 at the gate, which is not bad for 8,000 people. And you look back and you say, hey, look, Macho Man and and Jake the Snake, Hogan and Undertaker, I'll take that any day of the week, even if the the mid-card matches were were a little bit, you know, left a little bit to be desired. Yeah, it it was was leading you on a path. That's what I missed. The the storylines were going somewhere always, at least. Well, no question, man. But listen, we're about to wrap this thing up, man. I, I want to tell you on a personal note. First of all, thank you because I know you're a very, very high demand. You know, um, we both have families. You know, shout out to my fiance as well. Um, you know, I, we both have you know responsibilities, dads. You know, I'm a godfather as well, and you know, I have babies all around me. You have babies around you. Like we're we're, we're so busy, but we have continued to con- to build this camaraderie and this brotherhood in the wrestling community and now beyond the wrestling community. I'm so thankful that you took the time out to be with us today. Please tell the people where they can find your stuff, man, because it would be a crime to not give you the stage to let people know where they can find you. Yes, uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at EPW Show. Uh, same thing on Instagram at EPW Show. Uh, YouTube, type in Everything Pro Wrestling, and the same thing on Facebook, Everything Pro Wrestling. We have an official page, and there's an Everything Pro Wrestling group. It's a private group if you want to come in, talk some pro wrestling. Um, You'll see a thread usually for weekly shows. Always a good time. Always welcoming people. Come on in. No no doubt, man. There's no question about that. Listen, I want to give a big shout-out, man, um, to uh, Pauline and Mendy at my job. Thank you guys so much. They really made my day uh, yesterday telling me that they actually secretly listen to my podcast and are big fans of my podcast. 
So that's really dope. And then there's a young lady that works for me by the name of Angela. She's so supportive. And so uh, I appreciate her so much for listening in. Of course, my fiance, once again, shout out to my family. Shout out to my friends. Shout out to everybody out there who supports. Shout out to the six pack, man. You know what I'm saying? My squad, you know, me and uh, Conrad are, are two sixths of the six pack, man. So shout out to Malik. Shout out to Kyron. Shout out to Mountie. And shout out to Rambo. Appreciate you guys, man. We're going to keep this momentum going. Conrad, I appreciate you, my brother. Thank you. No doubt, man. So with that being said, I'm your man, Sean Hubbard, the founder and host of Hubbard Wrestling Weekly. Keep God first and all things are possible. We will check you next time. God bless. We're out of here. Peace.